Good evening, everyone. We have a special Throwing Bagels podcast for you today. We have a special guest, Jason Leone, the coach of the Oswego State Great Lakers. Lakers after their great run to the Elite Eight of the NCAA Division Three tournament. First, uh, Jason Hamo here. Let's say hello to the guys. Kevin, how you doing? Hi, Jay. Chris, how you doing? Hamo, what's going on? Good, good. Let's get things started with with uh, Coach Leone. Coach Leone, how you doing tonight? Doing great. As we were just talking about off air, you guys got me out of my uh, another night of my parenting duties. So my wife's thrilled. She's got to put the four year old to bed here. So your last free night for about, about six more months. Oh man, I don't know. I owe I'm I'm on borrowed time here. So it's it's one more night, right? Yeah, exactly. Most um, in team history, longest winning streak in team history with 24 straight wins. Most wins in team history with 28 this season, Coach. What would what do you attribute to this to this season that you guys did so well? Well, we got really good players. It always starts there. Um, any coach will tell you that, guys. You know, you, you've got it. it. It starts with talent, and then obviously, um, you've got to have buy-in and unselfishness. And because we have a lot of good players, people have to sacrifice. You know, roles and sometimes minutes and shots taken and. Um, you know, you've got to do a lot of the little things that don't show up in the stat sheet in order to have the type of season that we've had um, and the type of run we've had during the last 11 years since I, I came to Oswego. So uh, those two things, you know, the, the talent level and then um, the unselfishness and sacrifice, those those are really critical elements of our success. And you let's talk about the game um, for a little bit here. Uh, from Saturday, you know, you beat the number one team in the country, Randolph Macon, on Friday night. Saturday night, you played um, University of Wisconsin um, Whitewater, and you were down. Um, you were down early, came back, took the lead at the half. What was the message to the guys at the half? Well, Whitewater was similar to us in that we won. I think going into that game, seventeen games or sixteen games away from home, sixteen games away from home this year, which is that's a lot of games. Um, you know, over half of our games were played away from home, and Whitewater was the one team in the country that won more games away from home than us. I think they had seventeen going into that game. So when you're battle tested and you have gained confidence throughout the year that you can win games away from home that really translates to the NCAA tournament. Um, so at halftime of the game, we were ahead four. I was fairly confident because I didn't think we played a great first half. Um, and I just implored the guys. I said, listen, you know, this is such a great opportunity here to learn something about yourself. And obviously going to the final four would have been, you know, a, a culmination of a lot of magical things that happened during our season. And you're just trying to encourage the team as much as possible. We talked a little bit about a couple of adjustments. Um, there was one thing they were doing on offense that was really bothering us, and we were in foul trouble, you know. So we talked a little bit about how to play without fouling. Um, and I thought we were in a good frame of mind. We went out, and uh, we actually scored on our first possession. I think got up six. Um, and we had some opportunities. But we just, at the end of the day, in the second half, we – we couldn't string together enough stops, and uh, we couldn't we couldn't stop fouling them, you know. And they got too many free opportunities on the free throw line. They really buckled down defensively, um, and then that coupled with 
having two of our starters fall out of the game, it was just too much to overcome. And having said all that, we still had an opportunity at the end of the game, two opportunities to score right, right near our basket and just didn't make the plays that you need to make to win. You know, it wasn't for a lack of effort or, or a lack of want to. Um, the deeper you go into the tournament, you know, your margin for error becomes less and you need to play well to win games uh, the deeper and deeper you go into the season. And we just – we didn't. I felt bad for our guys. That was probably the worst of the six games we played in postseason this year, uh, and it was on the, the stage that you know had the the, the biggest um, you know stakes. So, um, but no regrets. The guys really worked hard for us all year. They improved um, and they learned a lot about themselves and about um, what it takes to be successful at this level. So, nothing but positives. Uh, Coach, uh, I don't think I need to tell you the stats uh, on how all that went down, but how annoyed were you with the Barnstable brothers on that Whitewater team? They were just all over the place. Was there Were there any conversations about how to try and stop those two individuals? Of course, yeah. I mean, they were a focus going into the game, and um, I think the thing that was most impressive about Whitewater was that they're playing with a team that was, you know, they weren't very seasoned. They, he was playing a lot of young guys, but you know, the trick, and I listened to Coach Miller talk on another podcast here in the last 24 hours, and, you know, when you have a young team, if they're talented enough, they have more upside than the team like ours that's been together for a little longer. So they had learned a lot about themselves early on and probably suffered a few more losses than the teams remaining in the tournament. But they also, in the process, learned a lot about what they needed to do to win against really good teams. And they're hitting their stride at the right time of the year. Um, their coach is a seasoned head coach and a very successful head coach. He's won two national championships. So he knows how to coach in the tournament. Coaching in postseason is significantly different than coaching a regular season game. And I think he's brought those those brothers along quite a bit here. And um, you know, it's not often that you see a freshman um, at any level be such a prominent player at this time of year. Um, for such a good program. And, um, you know, they, the, the two brothers, the Barnstable brothers, really uh, were a big part of their team and a big part of their success. Coach, you had mentioned the, there's differences between coaching in the regular season and the postseason. Can you just kind of go over what some of those differences might be? I think, you know, first off, you have to, you know, coaching in the postseason, you're going to play better teams. Sometimes in the regular season, you can win games and not play well. Uh, just because you have more talent than the opposition. And that happened to us a couple of times this year. We went through a spell where, you know, we were winning games and I didn't have the attention of my team because they were just seeing the result of us winning. And, you know, when you get to postseason, the deeper you go into the season, you're going to play better teams. And, you know, you're not – you're going to be exposed when you make mistakes at that point in the season. So that's certainly a difference. The second thing is – you know, typically when you play in postseason, the teams, because they're better, will take away the things that you really like to do on offense and defense. So as a coach, you have to have the ability to view the game and identify adjustments, but then probably most importantly, communicate those adjustments in a succinct manner to your team. Because sometimes as coaches, we have a lot of information. We give too much to our players, and it can sort of paralyze them mentally, if that makes sense. So, and then the last thing is, you know, when you get to the postseason, another thing that's different from the regular season is you really have to play 
flawless basketball to win, especially the, when you keep taking the next step. Like, you know, we went, you look at our first game in the NCAA tournament, we played a team that was a, a very capable opponent in Marymount, but they had lost 10 times that year. And then the very next game, we went and played the 10th ranked team in the country. They were a significantly more talented and better basketball team. I think the Marymount coach would tell you that. Um, and then we graduate from that game, and then we go play the number one team in the country that had won 64 straight games. Obviously, you know, we need to play a pretty flawless game in order to just be in the game with them, let alone beat them. And then when you win that game, you think, oh, wow, well, we beat the best team in the country. We must be pretty good. And then you turn around and you play a team that maybe doesn't quite have the accolades, but they have a head coach that has won two national championships and they're, they play in the best league in the country. So not, they're fearless, you know? So those are a few things that I think are certainly different about playing in the postseason. I, I always tell coaches when they ask me the biggest difference, a thing that's maddening is, you know, coaching in the NCAA tournament's a lot like chopping down a tree. You've got to take, sometimes five and six whacks at it to get it to start to wiggle, you know? And uh, it's tough because we want immediate gratification when we play in the tournament, but sometimes the only way you can learn is by being in it multiple times and learning from your mistakes as a coach. And coach, you, you, you mentioned earlier the foul trouble, right? Um, Green and Achille both fouled out with about six minutes left in the game. So that's you know, a big hole to fill for, for a decent stretch of time during the game um and green is you know arguably one of the best three-point shooters in the country right shooting he shoots at 46 percent, and he was he was shooting pretty well in the first half so what did that do to the team at that point did did the, did the team get down at all did did anyone step up i mean sparks obviously stepped up big you know scoring over 30 points but did was anyone else like i gotta step up now yeah i think that's been a strength of our team is you know, rallying around each other in, in the midst of adversity. Um, I think we have a very determined and tough-minded group. Um, so when, you know, I, like they had to beat us. I mean, think about this. Um, you know, we had two starters that are double-digit scores that combined together for two points. We fouled, two of our players fouled out, and we hadn't fouled the player out of a game in over two years of action. So we're not a team that fouls a lot. So to Whitewater's credit, they exposed something within our defensive concepts that hadn't been exposed all year. Um, we had our point guard, Aki Anderson, who was a key player in our win the night before. He was in, he, he injured himself in the last five minutes of the game. And he swore to me that he felt well, but based on his play, I, I don't think he was 100%. But give Whitewater credit; they exposed us, and um, you got to again. You got to play well. We had we had some people not play up to their capability. I don't blame the players. Um, those things happen, you know. And Whitewater made some of those things happen, you know. And that's 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 how you get beat, you know. But uh, yeah, the guys were, you know, when guys were out. I thought one thing that was a positive about the game: our bench play um, had been vir virtually non-existent during the postseason, and I thought the last game we got some contributions off the bench that we hadn't gotten in previous four or five games. So that was that was nice to see. Um, but those players aren't, you know, as capable as the starters. Otherwise, they would be starters of, of giving us the type of production that we, we would get from those starting players. So 
having those guys on the bench for long stretches of time, um, that, that certainly was hurtful uh, when it came to the result. I think one part of the game that really kept Oswego in it, I mean, Oswego at one point was down 12 points in the second half and rallied all the way back to where a last second three could have sent the game into overtime. And and one one factor in that was free throw shooting. I mean, Oswego shot 86% from the line. I mean, that's really was a a key component to to keeping the Lakers in the game. Yes, the the free throw line was a big uh, discrepancy. Uh, we were actually very fortunate. They missed some some free throws from some guys that normally are pretty good shooters at the line, but they, you know, they they really hurt us. You know, j- they got there more than we did. You know, and uh, you know, a big a big thing, you know, with winning games is you don't want to give away free points, right? And um, you know that that was an issue. Um, you know, the other thing is, you know, because we had trouble scoring we couldn't get into our press. Like at the end of the game, we were scoring a little bit. We were able to get into our press and that bothered them a little bit. And watching their game the previous night against Johns Hopkins, I thought they looked a little shaky against pressure. But again, in order to make that a factor, you have to score. And they did a nice job defensively on us. We did, we just didn't get a lot of open looks. And when we did, we didn't knock down enough of them. And, uh, you know, that was also a difference in the game. Uh, Coach, let's move away from the game uh, and let's talk about Devin Green here for a minute. Devin Green was named to the uh, D3 All-Star game. Uh, he's he's one of 10 players on the team, uh, on that roster, I should say, and only one of two SUNYAC players, the other being Austin Grunder from uh, SUNY Cortland. Talk to us about Devin Green and what impact he's had on uh, your season this year. Well, Devin, as you mentioned previously, he's one of the best three-point shooters in the country. He has you know, the two years he's played. For us, he sat inside the top five in the country both years in three-point field goal percentage. So that in and of itself uh, has played a big role um, with our program the last two years. The other thing is Devin's a, a, an exceptional rebounder um, from the guard position, from any position. He's got a great nose for the ball. He's a good leaper. He's got great hands. Um, he's, he, he's got a knack for anticipating where the ball is going to go off the rim and being able to track it down. That's a weapon. Uh, for a guard, you know, we, we don't have great rebounding at the four and five positions on our team. So the fact that him and Sparks are able to corral so many rebounds for us, that's a big deal. And then lastly, Devin's got a, a, a great competitive edge to him. Uh, he's a little bit older. He's 25 years old. He's had a unique journey uh, to get to Oswego. Um, and I've seen a lot of personal uh, growth in addition to his basketball growth over the last two years. He certainly was a key component to all the games that we've won these two years. It's no secret that we won 55 out of 61 games um, during the time that Devin was playing for us. He was a big part of that. Um, Coach, you have four rotation players that are graduating this year. Um, any of them possibly coming back for their COVID year, or did any of them already take yeah, their COVID all, year? Yeah, the whole, the whole we're expecting the whole team to be back next year except for Devin. It's a big hole to fill. <laughs> for sure. Yep. Well, I, I like the guys we have coming back, though. So that's, yeah, that's no, good. definitely. Let's go back to December 2nd. So Oswego at that night loses to Brockport, is now one and one in the SUNYAC, and then goes on an absolute tear, which Jay mentioned at the top 24 straight wins. Uh, that's uh, a program record. But what really got me was I did, I crunched some numbers. 
And the average margin of victory during that 24-game stretch was 23 and a half points. I mean, that is that is just crazy. I mean, what what was really what was firing in all cylinders during that stretch? Well, we start we started to get some guys that were um, you know, the two of our newer players that played a lot for us, Roback and Bowman, those guys mm-hmm. started to get going a little bit and started playing better and feeling more comfortable within our system and you know, with the expectations we have for, for their roles. Um, so that was a big deal. Um, the second thing was we started, we tweaked a couple things offensively that, that I think got us going a little bit. Um, and the third thing was kind of an intangible thing. I didn't think in the beginning of the year we were finding enough joy in competition. I thought we looked like we were playing with a 30 pound weight vest on, so to speak. I think, it's really hard for any team, let alone 18 to 21-year-olds, to play with, you know, just such high expectations. We were coming off a historic season, 27-3. and three, We had, you know, virtually everybody coming back. Mm. And we brought in a couple of highly touted transfers, and we were ranked fifth in the country. And, um, you know, that's a lot of pressure for anyone, let alone kids. And, and it, the number one thing that can happen is that, you know, you want to fast forward to the end of the season towards this part of the season we just played where ultimately they know they're going to be judged based on that. And there was a lot of hurt after our loss at Marietta last year. They're second in the country. We had an eight-point lead in the second half, and we didn't finish the game. And we had some opportunities to do that. And the, the players vowed and made a pact that they wanted to get back there and had, have another chance at that game in the Sweet 16. But there's steps that you need to take to get back to that point. And there's peaks and valleys that you have to go through. Um, and I felt like the guys were not finding joy in process in the first semester. Mm. And instead, I think we were playing a little tight. We didn't have guys playing as well as I think they could have because of that. Um, we were a little banged up and we just, you know, we needed to, kind of hit a reset button and one of the nice things about our level is typically in division three guys go home for a couple weeks in between semesters and uh that break was probably therapeutic for us a little bit it's not a big secret that when we got back and we played in that tournament at utica university on the 29th and 30th of december that's really when we started to hit our stride and have some of those bigger margins of victory that you're referring to it's only one step up from here, Coach. You know that, right? From the Elite Eight. I know. Tell me about it. <laughs> so the one good thing is we're, you know, I think there'll be some more growth. And obviously, um, you know, the guys will really learn from from this experience this year, coupled with the one from the previous. Yeah, you joined us, we go, in 2011. Um, and o- over the past uh, 11, I can't do math right now. It's too late. Uh, 11, 12 11, seasons. Yeah. 11 seasons. Yep. Okay. Uh, how have you seen the environment around Oswego basketball change? How have you seen the turnout at Laker Hall, the support on social media, um, you know, it's, it's the, the talk among students on campus? What is the reaction? How has that evolved over the course of your tenure? Hey, it's a great question. Um, it, it has changed exponentially, mm-hmm. but but the reasons for the change are all positive. Um the team has achieved at such a high level. Um, 21 seasons are kind of an expectation now and playing in, the, mm. in postseason is an expectation. Um, 
there's nobody within our region or state that has played as well as we have um, almost at any level, you know, division one, two or three. Uh, I know 55 and six is the best record of any team division one, two or three in the state of New York the last two years. Mm. Um, so that's a good thing, you know, but, but with that comes responsibility. Uh, we talk to our guys about that all the time. Um, the excitement and the exuberance and the euphoria that comes from playing in these great um, and deep into postseason, those things are awesome. But there's there's a process involved in getting there. And it's not always the most enjoyable or quote-unquote fun process. There's a lot of work that goes into this. From a player's perspective, it's, you know, they really, they've seen the pinnacle of our level now, the very mm-hmm. best teams in the country they've played against in the last couple of years. And, what the what they need to take from that and what I the reason we've gotten back here is they have taken from that how good the players are and the coaches are and how well you have to play. You take that information and you put it into your postseason plan in terms of working out and improvement. Um, and you've got to then get all the players in the program to have buy-in and to really – be disciplined in their approach during the off season, because those are the things that, you know, happen is that, you know, it's really exciting once the season's over to start working towards next year, players Mm -hmm. that didn't get a chance to play a lot. They see this as a reprieve where they can start working at it again. And then, you know, the players that play all the time, like a Jeremiah Sparks, like a Devin green, they might need a couple weeks of recuperation, but then they, you know, have such an important job of, of adding an element to their game. And with all the things that tug at their time academically, socially, um, in their personal lives, that's a lot. And in, at our level, we can't work with the players during the offseason. So you have to have very responsible people within your program and driven people, determined people that are willing to make those sacrifices with their time to work on their game and to improve. From a coaching perspective, we've got a really difficult job because, you know, we've got great players in our program. And quite frankly, we've got guys that don't get in a lot of games for us that probably would be good players in other programs. Um, so, you know, we've got to go out and identify players that can help get us to the next step, which is really hard because, you know, people are looking and, you know, you walk out of your last game and as good as I think we are, and we'll probably finish ranked within the top eight in the country this year, we pro- we still need to identify talented players that can help us fill holes um, while also developing the current players within our program. So all that is an immense responsibility because the more you win, the more the more of a taste that the players, the coaches, the fans, the alums get of that, that becomes expectation. I mean, look at Jim Beheim, right? 47 years, okay? And at the end people wanted him out and whether or not that was you know right or not i'm not going to get into that but it's you could make an an argument that he was a victim of his own success right so you know all the winning is great i want that i enjoy that pressure um it's what makes you a great competitor but there is a lot of elbow grease that goes on behind the scenes because you know this it's much harder to stay at the top of the mountain than it is to get there. Any coach can come in and have a great, 
one or two recruiting years back to back and maybe get to an NCAA tournament. But to win 236 games in 11 years, to go to seven NCAA tournaments in 11 years, to be in the Sweet 16 for the last seven years, mm. that is an incredible. And I'm not saying that from an arrogant perspective, but to your question, that takes a lot of sacrifice and um, hard work from a lot of different people. I've got to be on the same page. And coach today um, you penned a really nice letter to the Oswego faithful um, that was posted on the Oswego website, you know, basically talking about the season and how thankful you were um, the tragedy that, you know, that unfortunately you had early in the year um, before the season started um, thanking your assistants, your, you know, your family, the players, but uh, you know, as you said, especially the fans, what did, what did, writing this letter, you know, mean to you? What made you decide to write this letter? Well, similar to when you're a student in school, I think the best way, one of the best ways we can learn is by writing down our thoughts. And I'm somebody that wants our team to feel a sense of community. And I think if you want to have a program where you have excitement and fan involvement, you have to include them and you have to disclose things about yourself that sometimes are a little bit private in nature, but the result of that can be that people really throw their arms around your program and get excited about things and they want to help and they want to be a part of it. And I think all those things are positive. And I think at the division three level where we don't have season ticket holders and things like that, I think the more people that feel attached I think that's going to be better off for our program. So over the last 24 hours, I'm sitting on a plane. I'm tired. It was a moment of reflection. It's a moment. It's an opportunity as a coach to not only thank people, but to really critically think about what the season was. Hmm. And, um, you know, I wanted people to know there's an appreciation uh, from the head coach. Um, I wanted players to know how difficult the season was for me on a personal level and that they were a big part of me being able to coach the way I like to coach. You know, so many times we think coaches are, their position is about motivating the players. And I think that's true, but coaches can get motivation from their players as well. And I wanted to convey that publicly and I wanted people to know, and when I quote our winning percentage and the things we've done, it's not because I want credit. It's because I'm truly proud of everything that we've done. And I also believe that it's a total team effort from administrators, fans, alums, um, obviously the players, my staff. Um, a lot of things have to go well and have to be in place to win at this level. And we're still not where I think we can be. You know, and and uh, I, I I felt like the time was right, and I had things on my mind, and um, and I wanted to share those things with the people that were in and around our program. Talking about you know your your willingness to be vulnerable, I I think it does speak to your you seem to want trust seems to be very important in terms of how you approach 
coaching? I mean, is it, so how do you, do, how important do you consider it to, to build that level of trust between you and your players, between you and administration, between you and the fans? Well, it's essential, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think the more people that get to know you, I think it helps you to work with them. Ultimately, when you're in coaching, you're under a microscope and people that don't know me on a personal level, they may watch me on the sidelines and say, this guy's nuts, or you allow them to make a decision about who you are. And on the flip side, I also, because I have a platform of being out there in the open as a head coach, as a steward of the program, I also have a platform to let them know who I am, you know? And um, this is not, you know, sometimes people make these jobs harder than what they have to be. And, uh, you know, communication is such a, I teach a course at, at Oswego. And if I had identify something that when I, you know, advise young coaches or people that want to get into the profession, the, the longer I do it, the more it is about communicating and managing people and the less it is about scheme. You have to be proficient in both, but being a thoughtful communicator is mm-hmm. certainly an essential quality that you need to have in order to be successful. Coach, as a, and I speak for the guys too when I say this, as alums, we're proud of where the program is. Uh, we we wish you uh, the greatest success, and hopefully we can bring a title back home to, to Oswego uh, soon. Uh, but before we get you out of here, I think this is the most important question we're going to be asking you tonight. There are four named subs at the Oswego Sub Shop. We have the Eric Cole sub. We have the Linda Cohen sub. We have the Steve Levy sub. We have the Al Roker sub. We're going to petition for the sub shop to have your name on a sub as well. So we want you to build your own sub. <laughs> That's very funny. I eat at the sub shop all the time. I, of course. I love of course. I mean, it's, it's a staple. And we take our recruits there. Um, <laughs> nice. so, Excellent. Always, always. Um, so, yeah, that, w- that would be great. I, You know, if that worked out, I'd be honored. Uh, it's obviously not an expectation. But, uh, well, I don't know what how I want to build it, but I can tell you my favorite, my favorite type of sub. Um, it's a little outside the box. I like salami and turkey. Mm-hmm. So with lettuce, tomato, pickle, black olive, and sub oil. That's my go-to. All right. Excellent. So, I mean, turkey is a little bit of an odd combination. But That's I like all right. It. it makes me feel like I'm combining healthy with unhealthy. Turkey is usually a healthy option. <laughs> Salami, not so much. I'm kind of like the guy that would go to McDonald's, get a Big Mac, and then a Diet Coke. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes, that's me too. Look, yeah. look the, the, you, you, do you want two holes in your boat or just one? Right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, so I mean, I'm I'm definitely that guy. I I'm I am certainly a kid at heart, and uh, I can almost convince myself of anything when it comes to eating and drinking. That's a perfect type of sub because, to be quite honest, like you said, no one's really going to order it, right? No one's going to think of it. So if if that's if there's a perfect sub to put up there that no one's really going to think of, you got it right there. I'm I'm all about being unique because I am because <laughs> I am good and bad. Well, we we have a sub, so now we got to pitch it to the the sub shop. Right. Yeah. All right, let's get it going. I certainly spent enough money in there. They should give they should, should give me a look. I mean, we'll definitely we, we could definitely let them know. We'll definitely tell them that. I mean, they, I'm sure they know who you are anyway. Yes, I come in quite a bit.
<laughs> it's because it's good. I, I, I honestly don't care about the money. It's because it's good. The, the question is, is when the, when you bring the recruits, do you, do they get the cheeseburger sub or do they? Yeah, because they... that's the one that everybody says you got to get. So absolutely. I, if not every recruit, but I, they say, well, what should I get? What's it known for? And I said, look, I don't know. And I've actually never had a cheeseburger sub. Oh wow. Well, because I eat lunch there, and I. I can't eat a heavy lunch. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, because mm-hmm. I, if I eat lunch, it's usually in between my classes. And if I eat a really heavy lunch, I'll be falling asleep at my desk. And usually I have my day part of my job where I'm teaching, meeting with players, watching film. And then obviously practices are at night. So I'm not getting, I'm not getting any younger. So um, I, 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 I got to stave off sleep at my desk during the, during the afternoon. So you walk in and you say, I'll have the usual and they, and they make it. <laughs> I change it up, believe it or not. Ah. I, you know what I, you know what I like. I do like the, um, I like the, um, the rat, the uh, chicken parm wrap. I get that. Oh, you know what man. I will say. I, I, I did love the chicken and dumpling soup that they used to have every Thursday. So Thursday is my day that you would always see me in there. But they don't serve it anymore there. So maybe it's unpopular, and that's why they got rid of it. I, I've been meaning to ask Mister Green about that. Yeah, I think we need to make a phone call, Kevin and Jay. Right. I think we need to get that back on the menu, and we need to build this sub for Coach uh, Jason. We gotta Leone. get that, or we could. And, and I'm always wondering why they don't have clam chowder. I'm a big clam chowder guy. Oh, too. Wow. Mm. So, I thought I always thought Fridays would be a great day for clam chowder. Manhattan or or which one? I do them both, but I prefer New England. Yep, absolutely agreed. Yes. You're writing. You guys are writing all this down, right? <laughs> we got it Taking all. Notes. Got it you're all. doing. You're doing all my. You're doing all my dirty work for me. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, well, we appreciate it, Coach. We we really enjoyed having you on. The winningest coach in Oswego State history. Hopefully, you know, next year we'll be we can we can talk to Coach after he brings us to a Final Four. That would be that would be amazing. No we're not going to no put pressure. too much pressure on you. No coach. We're not, we're not no putting too much pressure on you. I'm going to put but, you, you know, guys in charge of my contract extension too. <laughs> you're making. You're taking. your look. You're taking gradual steps. You know. You got to the Sweet 16 last year. You got to the Elite Eight this year. It's only you know, natural. It's gradual. Right. It's gradual steps. That's right. Well, maybe I should have you guys meet with some of the recruits we're going to have up the next couple of weeks. You sound very <laughs> passionate about it. Well, hey, we're not just a hockey school anymore. Oh, I've heard that a lot. Steve Levy's been calling me a lot the last two weeks, and that's his that's his number one line. So. I mean, you've you've brought us you've you've brought us into the into the realm of the uh, of of some of the top basketball schools, uh, at, at least in the east on the east coast, if not the country at this point. Sure. Right. We have had a good run. I will admit that. I will I will take that compliment. So, but Coach Gosick and I are very close friends. I he's been a great mentor and friend, and uh, you know. To, to be able to share stories and talk about advancing in the NCAA tournament with somebody on our own campus. Mm. That's been a great sounding board for mm. me. What kind of advice has, has coach Gozik shared with you? You know, he, he, um, he's talked to me about just managing the season, you know, mm. um, you know, I think when you know and recognize you have a good team that could potentially advance in the NCAA tournament, uh, Ed obviously has been to multiple Final Fours and won a national championship. He he has great perspective on coaching the whole season. Um, you, you know, you can't have your foot on the gas 24-7, um, you know, especially at this level where, you know, the, the kids have so many other things other than just the sport they play on their plate, you know. So he's he has great perspective with that. 
Um, the other thing that he's great with is like managing the ups and downs of a season. You know, everybody, every coach or team, even if they're winning games, you go through lulls where you're not playing well and identifying and solving problems is it's a skill, you know, it's a skill. And, um, you know, veteran coaches tend to be a little bit more well-versed in that. And, you know, Ed certainly is veteran and he's got great, great perspective on problem solving. Well, coach, we, uh, we really appreciate your time tonight. Fabulous season. Congrats on, on, on taking the Oswego to the elite eight for the first time in, in school history. Um, and we, we look, we look forward to, uh, to more success. Well, I will t- I'll tell you this before you guys let me, let me go. Um, every time I get a request like this, um, you know, and I get a lot of them. Um, I, I was really happy to be able to spend time with us. We go alums the day after our season ends. Uh, I can, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm spent. I'm very tired. Um, but when I got this request, um, it, it made me happy. And, uh, and I was, you know, I'm glad that you guys had me on. So I, I, I always have great respect for people that, that, uh, graduate from Oswego. So thank you very much for thinking of me. Thank you, coach. We, we appreciate, appreciate the, the coach. We really do. And that was Oswego uh, state head men's basketball coach, Jason Leone. And boy, that was a, a real, you know, he, he's been a real, um, positive addition, uh, to the Oswego athletics program. I, I gotta say. Yeah, let's hope he stays around for uh, for a long time. I mean, he's been here for eleven years. Let's let's hope it's plenty more. Yeah, we're hoping that he doesn't get picked up by any D one schools or anything like that. We'd like him to stick around for a little bit longer. I'm sure he's gonna bring a national championship. I have no doubt about that. And coach, no pressure, of course, no pressure no. at all. But his success, I mean, it speaks for him for itself. He's never mm-hmm. had a losing season as a coach at he's, all. Yeah, ever. I mean, he shattered he shattered <laughs> Kevin Broderick's record. Of of yeah. wins at Oswego already, you know, passed it this year. Um, he, I mean, let's be honest, Oswego. Look at look back at the records for Oswego throughout the years. Oswego was never much of a basketball school. We've rarely had years. We've rarely had a winning winning basketball coach. Uh, coach have a winning record throughout their mm-hmm. career. You know, at Oswego, and um, you know, I mean, let's let's be honest. One of the most famous coaches of all time is Doctor Boozer. Who knew? I didn't know he was a coach, but apparently Dr. Bruiser was a coach. His record was 25 and 112. So, you know, Oof. Oof. but he taught health education. So, <laughs> so you know, coaching was a bonus, I guess. Yeah. 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 On the side, on the side. <laughs> it's economical. Um, and, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and also, uh, we need to send a bill to the Aspico sub shop for all the promotion we're doing for them. Yes, they did not pay anything for any of this promotion, so we, no. we hope they're very happy with with it. But we're going to work on getting uh, Coach Coach Leone and Coach Gosick. We're going to work on getting both of them a a, a sub named after them. They, they need absolutely. They need sandwiches named after them. One hundred percent. You get. You have. You have. You win the way you are or have. You get. You get a sub. Uh, Coach Gozik has been involved with the Laker program in one way or another for a good 45 years. Oh, yeah. Because oh, yeah. he long, was a player in the early 80s. Uh, and then he he went away. I think he did some uh, professional hockey for a little bit. Then he came back to SVGO and, um, you know, served under Coach Don Unger as an assistant and then Coach George mm-hmm. Roll as an yep. assistant. Then he got the head coaching gig and 
Uh, he's just been a, a phenomenal coach. Um, Won the national championship. Yep. Very early in his career. Yeah. Uh, took home the national title. So, so to, to what coach Leon mentioned, the bar was set very high mm-hmm. uh, early in coach goes, you know, uh, uh, term. Um, and it, you know, sometimes it's very hard. Sometimes you set the whole bar so high and you become a victim of your own success. Right. Uh, so I don't sense that's happening on Oswego's campus uh, at all because the, no. the success has been there uh, yeah. year consistently year in and year out. We're seeing success from hockey. We're seeing success from basketball, um, you know, and even, even on the women's hockey, women's basketball, I mean, they're, they're certainly in there as well. Um, you see those programs are, are gaining traction. So, I mean, all in all, you look at, you know, the state of Oswego athletics and, you know, the sky's the, the sky's the limit. They might be better than Syracuse Athletics right now. Chris, how dare you? Microphone. Shh, don't say that. We might get fired. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> We're on a roll tonight. This is what happens when you do two consecutive oh, podcasts God. back to back. Yes. Yeah. Guys <laughs> oh, got some editing to do. No, all of this is going to stay in there. We'll just gonna <laughs> stay just in. Gonna, Absolutely. Yeah, Keep it know. in. All right. Well, with oof, fire, baby. That's uh, that does it for two bonus podcasts. We're giving you a, a lot for your money, which is zero. That's so right. we're, not- <laughs> we're paying all the bills, people. We're paying all the bills. <laughs> that's right. Not, not only two bonus podcasts, but we had a blog call today. Is a blog. Wow. That's right. So please, uh, Chris uh, posted a great story about remembering his dad and how he surprised him with tickets to the to the 1994 world cup chris that was just a yeah. great story yeah greece argentina I, I watched diego maradona's last goal as an international uh i mean that shot like if you guys you can youtube it it's all over youtube one of the greatest goals i've ever seen in person um and you know then the celebration just his face is just like he's just a madman crazy into the camera and then you know but but the memories go beyond that obviously you'll you'll read in the blog it's it's just the experience of driving there, the experience in the stands with, you know, Greeks singing their songs and Argentinians singing, you know, Vamos, Vamos, Argentina. And and just the the stadium itself was just electric, even though Greece lost four nothing. You know, we were upset, but, you know, uh, just the experience in of itself was was amazing. And I, I just can't wait till 2026 when the World Cup comes around. And I can share the same thing with Cameron. Exactly. Uh, and you're, you're really just did a great job explaining that, Hey, you know, uh, you cannot take one second for granted, uh, in life. So you gotta Never. make the very most of it. Yep. You can, you encapsulated your relationship with your father and, and that, what that, what that trip meant to you very well in that, in that blog post. Well, we will talk this since this was a special, well, one of two bonus. I mean, we're just cranking out the content here. Just important content, uh, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but next next week we will be chatting with Syracuse Mets general manager Jason Smorrow. We'll take a preview of the 2023 season. Also, get into a little bit about what day to day is like for a AAA GM, where they have virtually no say over personnel and they have to pretty much deal with whatever the New York Mets general manager you know dictates. So that should be an interesting angle. So we'll talk to Jason Smorrow next week. So uh, just a great night. Uh, chatting. This was a Monday night. These things air Wednesdays. Uh, so hi, hi, Wednesday listener. We appreciate you <laughs> stopping you. by. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for tuning in.
<laughs> All right. Until then, Jay, see you later. Good night, guys. Chris, see you later. See ya. Get him a sub. 